if they continued to make music that wasn't mainstream afterwards. That's my question. Okay, so the podcast I was listening to that was talking about this is uh, the ongoing history of new music with Alan Cross, who's like the Canadian authority on like all things music. <laughs> And his definition is it has to be only one song that brought the band to, like, listeners outside of their immediate fan base. And then, like, nobody followed them anymore. So after so, like, that... For exa- the, yeah, so the example that he used was, like, Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba <laughs> went just stupid international and used in everything. And they kept making music until, like, 2012. And had, like, over 20 different members and nobody listened to them again. Because apparently they were a hardcore anarchist punk band. Other than that one song. <laughs> Everybody knows that one I think song. Okay, like it... so then by that definition, if they are only then listened to by their major fan base, it doesn't matter. They're still a one-hit yeah. wonder. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like if you have a career and you're, like, supporting yourself with it, you're still, like, a professional musician you're doing your thing it's like incredibly hard to get there in the first place and if you can stay relevant enough that like people will sign you and still do records i feel like just because you're not on the radio anymore or like number one on like the like spotify charts doesn't necessarily mean you're a one-hit wonder some people are one-hit wonders like you're you're right there's examples like that one chumbawamba where they just like fade or like no like literally nobody knows a song except that one yeah like, I'd say, like, you can still be a working musician, but, like, that's not the same as having, like, hits, right? Like, there's lots of bands that, like, you have your one big hit and everyone knows you for that, and then they just disappear. Mm-hmm. Like, Closing Time by Semisonic. <laughs> apparently, they are still making music. The lead singer apparently co-wrote Someone Like You for Adele, and it's just, like, rolling in cash. But, wow, like, it's not so bad. nobody knows that song other than Closing Time. Well, it's like the, uh, is it treble charger like the lead singer is like a huge music yeah. producer nowadays yeah really yeah. that's cool he, yeah he actually. was on that battle of the bands on yes. much music he found stereos Ooh. another one hit one how to tell <laughs> that's sweet, how to tell your canadian right like how to tell your canadian yeah. is you mention much music instead of mtv i love the <laughs> the like treble charger sub 41 arc too where, like, oh, Tribal yeah. Charger took Sum 41 on as, like, a touring band or something because they liked their style, yeah. and then they got way bigger than them way faster, and they got resentful and, like, hated each other afterwards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but to go back, yes, Jody, Nine Days, crisp band. Even mm-hmm. even by today's standards. Their last album? Fantastic. And yet, it sucks because, like, <laughs> nobody's ever heard of it except for Story of a Girl. 257 Weeks is oh, their, their best so good. Track. I think so good yeah I was actually really upset because they took a whole bunch of it off of Apple Music and like now I can't listen to it <laughs> yeah. all right well let's talk some uh, let's talk some tabletop um, our first topic tonight is nerd culture what do you guys think nerd cult nerd culture nowadays um, it seems like it's everywhere um, I don't know I think it's really hard now to distinguish what's, like, nerd culture and what's just pop culture. Because they've kind of blend together. Like, you have, like, superheroes are now just, like, the biggest selling movies. Everybody knows the Avengers, even if you're like, I'm not a nerd. My wife would never say she's a nerd, but she loves all the Marvel movies. And, like, everyone's a gamer. Everyone plays some kind of game, even if it's Candy Crush on your phone. I don't know if Candy Crush is still around or not, but... 
I think it's really hard to distinguish the two now. Yeah, I agree. I like Jesse's parents watched the boys before I did. And they're nice. like 60 and 70. So that says something, right? Like what yeah. would I agree with you? Like what is the separation line? Like only the most niche of nerd things can even really be outside of most people's comprehension now, right? You can say things and they'll understand, right? You try and explain a video game to someone 20 years ago and they some people wouldn't even get what you're saying. Now anyone will understand even if they've never played even a remotely similar game. You know, Jody, I always remember the story you told me when uh, we were kids, and it was that your uncle, who hadn't seen a video game since, like, the original Atari or something like that, walked in on you playing Final Fantasy and was just blown away that you weren't watching a movie. Yeah. During one of the CGI <laughs> cutscenes. I, like, I know that, it, like, in my lifetime, I went from living in a, like, world where you'd get bullied for playing Game Boy on your lunch break to, oh, like... Yeah. Now I feel like you get bullied if you didn't play your Game Boy on lunch break. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's everywhere. And, like, part of it, I think, is because it's just everybody's realized it's fun. Like, there's some kind of yeah. uh, interest you can find in nerd culture wherever, like, no matter what else you're interested in, you know? You, and this is a, a, a casual observation that I myself have made, you know, just interacting with youth. And... It's that kids don't get bullied anymore for liking certain things. And, you know, video games are cool for everybody. Like, even the most popular girls will play, you know, whatever the latest is, whether it be Apex or Fortnite or something like that. And, and you're right, Jody, that there seems to have been some sort of evolution from when we were kids, which, you know, I say this every year that it wasn't that long ago, and it gets further and further. But, you know, I remember, you're right, you you got made fun of, oh, you play Pokemon, you play Mario, like, nerd. Um, and it was, it was hurtful, but it doesn't seem to happen anymore. I feel like there's kind of been a shift from, like, bullying kids for being nerds to now, like, gatekeeping culture. <laughs> so now it's not like, you're a nerd, it's, you're not nerdy enough. You say that you're yeah. a comics fan. Well, I want you to tell me, like, what was Moon Knight's first appearance, and, like... Yeah, there's been this weird shift now of, like... And, like, even, like, you know, you talk to kids and you're like, oh, yeah, I play video games. Like, do you play Fortnite? So, like, even, like, they feel the need to, like, gatekeep of, like, oh, you're not really a gamer. Like, listen, buddy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the reason why tabletop role-playing games haven't really blown up in the same way is just, like, the, the barrier to entry. Right, like you need to not only know what books you need to buy, you need to read those books, you need to understand the system, you need to then go and buy more books, find enough friends that are willing to play with you, it's not enough to just have one buddy who wants to do D&D with you. And I wonder if, if that has kind of made it less accessible for like the new generation of nerds, that like you need, you kind of need some people to like either grandfather you in, or a group of people that are all like, this is what we do now. We are now tabletop role-playing nerds. <laughs> Come with me, we're going on an adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you've really hit upon the whole point of this entire podcast that we've started here is there is a huge barrier to entry. And, you know, especially I think if you're looking at youth, I, we're adults who every year we have a little bit more disposable income than previous years, but... It's a, still a large cost. <laughs> it gets easier, kids. It gets so much easier. Life still sucks sometimes, it, but it gets easier. <laughs> I'm um, sure that's true. Uh, you, you know what? 
I'm a couple of years older than you. Give it a couple. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, to, to go back to that is, is this idea that that's why we're doing this. We want to know which ones besides D&D are worth playing and which ones are not. Um, you know, I kind of put it into the show notes of our, of our first episode there. Of we are based almost on the philosophy of anything but D&D. And that doesn't mean that we hate D&D. We, like most pop culture nowadays, loves D&D. But there's got to be more out there. There's also something to be said of how far it's come. Because, like... You know, video games came out and people were like, oh man, they're going to like make kids violent. There wasn't like, they're worshipping the devil like there was with <laughs> D&D. Like, it was straight up satanic panic. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's had to come a lot farther than video games have. Tom Hanks' first yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> mon- monsters and Mazes. Listen, I feel like that's how you know you've made it, is you have Tom Hanks make a movie. I don't even care that he wasn't famous. He made a movie about how awful you were. <laughs> Sign Warning me up. parents. Sign me up any day, okay? I will take it. Tom Hanks, gain some weight. You know, break your legs so you can be shorter. You can play me. <laughs> I bet you that made his career. You know, he won't acknowledge it probably now, but he's like, that's what got me in the business was that movie. <laughs> that would be amazing. Every time somebody brings it up and I see him like crying, being like, what am I doing? It's like, okay, come on. <laughs> that's what I feel like when I uh, fail my saving throw. But yeah, there's like a lot of money in it, and we can't like um, discount that as like why it's gotten popular in a way. You know, it's a kind of a cynical way to look at things, but like when there's a lot of money involved in things and a lot of money to be made, it gets saturated with advertising to make sure that it's popular. And like, I don't want to say that that's the total rise of it because people enjoy it and, and that's why people started making the content. So like it started in a really good place, but then a lot of it has been just pushed with really saturated marketing to make sure that like we all know about it. I guess to go with a, a less polarizing uh, direction with it, though, where I see the rise of it really comes about with social media pushing, and I, and I hate to say this, but the echo chamber, because that is the bad idea, right? Um, but the idea that we have found people we can connect with who have said, hey, no, this is cool. Like, this is awesome, you know? Yeah. And it might have started even with, like, things like Diablo 2, which was arguably the, the first really big multiplayer game that was fantasy and i mean like multiplayer in the sense that people were actively coming together in lfg groups online to play through this campaign at least and and maybe i'm historically wrong but that is the one that i remember changing the game quest i was just (laughs) gonna say somebody's forgetting everquest yeah yeah you're you're right you're right um but i don't know diablo was like a different experience that actually had like a really strong Pull in like a more condensed story that like kind of brought it mm-hmm. to the forefront and it was a lot easier to get into I feel so it was like a good bit port yeah. of entry for people okay, yeah so, again it, it lowered that yeah. that point of entry because EverQuest was just this daunting totally yeah. open experience there was very little guidance in that game well and I think one of the problems and one of the reasons why maybe I, I had forgotten EverQuest or decided that wasn't the one for me was 
I remember that people talked about it and it was uncool. Yeah. And I remember people like hyping it up and kids laughing at them. But when people talked about Diablo 2, there wasn't that same reaction. Like, it was inherently cool. In the same way that Doom was the cool shooter. And everybody you knew was playing D2, right? And that's, I think, where my own, perhaps, inadequacies with this background of tabletop games, fantasy, stuff like that comes from. is because I was so nervous as a teenager to actually embrace things like this. Like, I wouldn't have been caught dead playing you know D&D as a teenager which is I think it's funny because Jody you did play D&D as a teenager we, we hung out we never mm. yeah, we never played it together though and that you know, stick was like that's a huge part of it why do you think it took me 16 years to play WoW <laughs> and <laughs> tell people I play WoW by the way Shadowlands comes out November 23rd I'm very excited uh, <laughs> you hope not that they Blizzard needs the plug, but hey, Blizzard. Yeah. I was always pretty unashamedly, like, the nerdy kid. I've, I've been, like, trading Pokemon cards on the playground since I was six. Like, Yu-Gi-Oh! duels Get on the park bench in, in, like, grade five yeah. kind of thing. Like, yeah. I, I hated how negative the stereotype around it was, which is why it, like... It makes me really happy that it's not like that anymore. But it, it's mm, also, yeah. like... Uh, there's a lot of like shovelware out there nowadays, you know. There's a lot of just like things yeah. that have this fantasy nerd exterior that are like really hollow on the inside. That I feel like there wasn't as many of when it was less popular. There was like a certain quality gap, or like maybe just like uh, like a depth of the experience gap between like older the, games. I feel and like the quality games. control, the quality control was that so few people did it. It had to be those good. Those who committed to it were yeah. good. Yeah, it had mm -hmm. to be. Yeah, and, and that's my own experience of, you know, growing up is I, in public, would be like, nope, I'm not like that. You're a nerd, too, and I don't like you. Uh, whereas, you know, I'd go home and I'd totally do all the nerdy things in the background, you know. I remember going to your house, Jody, and you having all these fantasy books, and, like, we would talk about it, but I would always leave it on the shelf. I wouldn't borrow it because, you know, I didn't want to be seen with that. Um, and it was really only when I went to college that I started embracing those things because all of a sudden I was kind of like back to social media, finding people who were interested in it. And that's my experience. And even then it took me until after, um, university to start playing with a regular group. And then it was like, I was done. I was lost in it. And it's all I could think yeah. about, you know, did you guys have, I mean, we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but did you guys have similar experiences there? Yeah, so the first time I played D&D was with a guy that I worked with that I barely knew in res. We went into his basement, and we played, and they didn't explain the rules to me at all. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, the DM was super harsh. Uh, one of those, like, if you say it, that means you actually want to do it. There's no joking around. You don't get to jokingly say you want to do this thing. Like, you're doing it. And it totally turned me off from it. And I eventually, like, that's how Jaden and I became friends. Because I was talking about, like, hey, like, nerdy things. And, like, Jaden's like, yeah, nerdy things. And it was great. And they were like, guys, we should play D&D &D because my DM's a jerk. <laughs> I, I just want to say... Jane agreed to DM for me. I just so. want to say that you take out the context of tabletop RPGs, and that story was so different. <laughs> I have something to, yeah. to add kind yeah. of on yeah. that, too. Where it's like, I kind of, in some ways, miss, like, being part of the insiders group 
of like people that were into nerdy shit and like the like you said like you meet somebody else that was into it and it was a, like kind of a rare thing and you'd be like man we're gonna be friends we're gonna hang out we're gonna talk about this we're gonna play <laughs> games it's gonna be sweet and like it was like a like a thing like it was like the you were like part of a club and it's like going back to the gatekeeping conversation it's like yeah. I'm I'm against gatekeeping but I miss feeling like being part of an insider's crew that were like into it and like knowledgeable of these things and it was like because when you're young it, it kind of feels like cool in a way to be like uh like part of like an outsider group you know it's like punk rock like D D was it's, punk it's, rock it's... once you know and it's like <laughs> i kind of yeah. miss that those are my two worlds hitting together <laughs> it was the best <laughs> oh my Matt god did you guys hair, just become best friends <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you used to have hair, oh, Kate. Sure. That's crazy. <laughs> I know, I did. I used to have hair. <laughs> and dyed funny colors. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're the only one here that knew me with hair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I met, I met you me one time. Saw me with hair once. <laughs> yeah. And then the next time I saw you, there was none, and I had no idea who you were. I actually wondered yeah. if over, over like the break, they had... <laughs> Fired you and hired somebody fired me else. And hired someone else. Yeah, I was like, was that guy's name Cade? I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> it's okay. Apparently, you thought I was some sixty-year-old haggard, patch jacket-wearing English guy. You have an old man professor name. It's just <laughs> an old man professor style. What's like? Let's be. It's all I ever want. Except for all That's the tattoos. That's like for me, guys. That's like. That's yeah. not really old man professor. <laughs> old man professor Vietnam veteran. <laughs> I've seen some things. Jaden, what were your what were your experiences with D&D and tabletop games growing um, up? Well, yeah, like not a lot. I grew up in a pretty rural, you know, Country, like real country place for where I'm from which wasn't a big deal I had a good time I actually really enjoyed it I just the secret there was that you couldn't like anything too much you could be pretty much into whatever you wanted like everyone read like big fantasy books and stuff like that that wasn't an issue you we all played video games some people mostly sports but other people you could get away with whatever like I had one buddy that we played sims like every time we hung out to like 3 a.m like I don't know why but that was our shit it was stupid desperately trying to find the secret code that would get rid of the blur yeah like, oh. we were all 10 year old boys at one yeah point. if only right <laughs> we could have had that and so like we there was a certain limit but nothing like tabletop there would have been no way that would have flown too well so i wasn't really into that shit just because i wanted to you know hang out with people and when you have 40 kids to choose from and the six people that do that stuff are just too weird even for you you just got to say that's just not part of my life at this moment <laughs> <laughs> because like they were they were just socially too far it wasn't even nerdy things it was just that socially you couldn't hang out with them so what do you do you know what they it's fine nerds, they were geeks yeah there's yeah <laughs> nobody wanted you know to what it's fine with. they didn't want you anyways so yeah and they were good people actually one of them was awesome he was into real big punk music <clears throat> and had like all the most nice. awesome punk vests he had like three or four that were like wickedly done up it was cool but then, yeah, it was after know. university that I got into tabletop with Cade. Just not after, I guess just yeah. during, right at the, right at the yeah. end of our university. We messed around with some Pathfinder for a while, and then 
did a little D and D, but none of it ever really stuck because yeah. the rest of our friends are super flaky. Super Literally the flaky. hardest yeah. thing about running games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, even Good that, uh, even the idea, like that group, the the outcast. You know, that's kind of what I was talking about with the EverQuest idea. And you know, I will fully admit because I think it's part of growing up is. There was that one kid who hyped it up, and uh, we did not get along, and I was quite mean to him. And eventually he got back at me a few times, but uh, it was definitely, as I got older, I made a point of finding him. Well, actually, I I just happened to come across him in, I think, the grocery store, and we kind of started talking awkwardly, and I just came out with that. I was like, you know what, man? Like, I'm so sorry. Like, we were not nice to each other. I was not nice to you, and um, it was because I was so insecure about wanting to like those things and not wanting people to realize that I like those things, you know? Mm. Um, and it's just like a weird way of life that um, I'm so happy like you guys are that this stuff is accepted and that also that I'm okay with myself now to like those things. Um, obviously enough to start up a podcast, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, mine's a great story because we dug up uh, we were cleaning a basement of a friend and it was like atrociously dirty and in a bookshelf in the back corner we found the like first edition D&D player's handbook and then a D&D for dummies book like it was like treasure buried in this dark dingy basement and like we took it upstairs and like read it over and like improved our first session and we stayed up to like four in the morning with our buddy and his like older brother that it was like his book so he kind of taught us how to play we just like killed werewolves till five in the morning. It was great. We were like sixteen at the time. Yeah. Kate, to go back to your your conversation that you had this DM who was like ruling with an iron iron fist, and yeah, I mean, obviously there comes a point where you had to have questioned: Was this game for you? Were the rules too strict? Like, you know. How did you turn that around? Um, well, I said something stupid, and he made me roll to make it happen, and it did. <laughs> and I was like, I can do anything! Yeah. Because the stupid thing I said was, hey, I'm a dwarf, I have a big beard, I should probably have extra carrying space, right? Just shove stuff in the beard. And he's like, roll for it. Because, <laughs> alright, and I nat 20'd. And he's like, fine. So I had like five more pounds of carrying capacity because of my beard, and I'm like, oh my god, the possibilities yeah. are yeah. endless. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, was, that was when I clicked with it. But I was like, this guy doesn't run the kind of game I want to do, because I want to be able to do silly stuff <laughs> occasionally and so, and be an idiot and because that's fun to me so did he just like run the rules so strict as to what they were or was he even maybe even using the rules too aggressively um i think a combination of the two i got the sense of the guys that he was playing with because i got brought into a group that had already been playing for a while and he made it seem like he was going to be, like, grandfathering me in, but it was definitely, like, the other guys goofed around too much for this DM, and he had, like, put in this, like, no, this is how it's going to be, because we need to finally finish a campaign, damn it. Um, and <laughs> he was just frustrated with them, and and then it was very much, like, you rolled for everything. There was no, like, okay, yeah, like, of course I can, you know, climb this wall. I'm, I'm a thief. That's, like, that's what I do. It's a five-foot wall. 
I, as a dumpy college kid, can climb that wall. It's fine. And he was like, nope, you have to roll for it. You have to climb. And I think it was just his way of trying to gain back a little bit of authority over a group that had questioned it enough times, and I just came in at the time. I know that, that feeling well, a little bit. <laughs> but I do it with enemies well, that almost kill them. <laughs> mean and vengeful god. <laughs> It becomes a good conversation of, you know, can you just do it because you see that it's easily done as a as a metagamer or as just like yourself, or should you be rolling for absolutely everything? And this can get kind of uh, this can get kind of controversial. I say, and like with all things that like it really depends on the situation, like. If it's in a setting where they're not crunched on time and there's nothing distracting them and it's a simple action and like it's not meant to be a puzzle, I feel like it's better to just like move the encounter along. But then on the flip side, if yeah. it's ever a time when there is danger or something that's like pressing them for time, then like you have to do rules as intended because like that's not a situation where you could plausibly say like, okay, they just take their time and do it extra carefully and make sure it works. Yeah. If you don't have enough rules, you're not playing a game yeah. anymore. You're just doing improv in your basement. <laughs> and it's like, that's why I love the rules of tabletop <laughs> games, though. Is because it's like, it's all just sort of laid out for you in terms of, like, what to roll in certain situations. But then there's somebody controlling the game that gets to, like, curate it. They're like a DJ at a, at a party, you know? Like, if the mood, if the mood is, like, tired of puzzles they can let you like get through the next door without having to do the puzzle. If like the mood is we're tired of killing things and need some like interaction, then you can make the next like section have more puzzles. And yeah, yeah. like I feel some people don't like they either don't want to make the call or they feel like they're wrecking the game when they they like use different rules or like override the rules. And it's something that like you just have to really if you want to like, run games kind of get good at like knowing when to make the call and just like progress it or like then on the other hand say no when like they've started to like get out of hand with what they're asking you to just let them do yeah well i feel like this is a a conversation or a struggle that we had recently um this past summer when we played um call of cthulhu and you know i had run a campaign for you guys or a few of you that was based around the original Resident Evil, uh, taking the first uh, the first game and the map, particularly the Spencer Mansion, and adapting it into Cthulhu myth mythos. And um, I guess from my perspective, I was trying to match up a video game with a tabletop game, which is just inherently difficult to begin with because video games are very uh, visual and tabletop games are not, especially Cthulhu. And... Um, so there became points where I know that you guys were a little bit frustrated that I was making you do tedious things, you know. Uh, our friend James infamously saying, like, well, I'm just looking at a, a bookshelf. I can't just look at the bookshelf. And it's like, well, in my head, that bookshelf isn't just the bookshelf. Like, there is something about it. But I get where you're coming from. And uh, I think I got better at it as we went, um, particularly, I think, adapting that video game style. But... It definitely was a, a, a disconnect, I want to yeah. say, between myself as a keeper and player. I think part of it, too, is that it's like in a video game, 
You know how, like, you can only interact, you can only press A on something that is important, right? Like, you generally can't, like, in most games, just, like, interact with everything. And it's what, it, it's what lets you hone in on the puzzle piece. Because you can only press A on the secret wall. So, that's how you find the secret wall. And, like, in a tabletop game, if you have to roll search for everything that you check, then you never know if you're just rolling search to see if there's dust there or if it's a secret wall. Whereas... When you say, like, James goes to the bookshelf and says, I want to look at the bookshelf, and you make him roll, that clicks into the brain that it's like, well, hey, there must be something more to this bookshelf. So when you use the rules in, in ways that are kind of like, like it's only when it's relevant, you know, then every time they come mm, to a rule yeah. check, it can be like, well, hey, we're one step closer to the puzzle, and it's almost like dropping little breadcrumbs. Yeah, yeah. I'm still a big fan of the system that uh, you and I discussed here a little while ago. That it's from an infamous Reddit post, but uh, where like these guys were playing a D and D game, and the guys were like, "Well, I'll just throw our halfling party member <laughs> over this chasm." It's like, "Well, could could you do that?" It's like, "Yeah, I, I mean, I think I could." Okay, let's go in the backyard and find out. And they pull out like a sack of potatoes, <laughs> and the guy has to throw it and see how far he can throw it. I think that would be a hilarious like charity stream yeah. somewhere down the road. <laughs> Where it's just us in the backyard having to prove that we could do whatever physical actions <laughs> in our yeah. scenario. I think that's hilarious, and I think we should do that at some point. But I do agree that, like, there has to be kind of a best judgment. Like like you said, we're not going to be, like, rolling for search every five seconds for something. Because A, that makes the game really tedious, and B, that's not realistic. Like, sometimes things just, like, yeah. pop out at you, and you see them, and you're not, like, looking for them and, like, trying to have things pop yeah. out at you. I, and I think for myself, it, it came with knowing and, like, before running that campaign where we were running consistently every two weeks for an entire summer, um, I had only run as Keeper intermittently, you know, once every couple months, maybe a couple times every couple months, and so it was really difficult to really wrap my head around some of the rules and when should they be used, when should they not. And I feel like by the end of that campaign, I really got it of, like, Hey, yeah. if there's nothing overtly hidden, don't make them roll spot hidden, right? Like, yeah. they can look at that bookshelf and say, what's on it? Yeah. It was, like, a pretty, like, huge and bold campaign for the first, like, major one that you ran. And it was really good. I, uh, I'm quite proud of it. I hope to never run it again uh but uh i will admit the end uh the end i was kind of just ready for it to be done because um, it just it just went on for a long time and um there's only so many times that you can make running around in a mansion yeah. interesting you know <laughs> but, yeah bottle uh, episodes kinda... suck <laughs> yeah. nobody yeah. likes a bottle nope. episode <laughs> Abed was right <laughs> back to the like podcast topic i'm like very openly biased towards house rules and like dm says you know mm -hmm. i've always been like that because like from the very beginning of us playing it was kind of just like us improving it in a basement and so like that's how we learned how to play so that's how i like playing it um that being said playing with you i i actually learned the the values of rules as written honestly about how it's like it's like when you pull the trigger, you can't take that trigger pull back. And, like, that's how it feels when you're actually playing strictly by the rules. Where, like, you don't just get to, like, fudge the numbers and say things work. 
It's like it actually adds a lot of tension to it. Um, I feel... Yeah. I think... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I think for me it comes down to if you don't like the rules and those are the rules that make this system unique, why are you playing that system? Move on. Do something else. You know, I think there are obviously nitty-gritty rules that you're like, okay, well, you know, screw that. Like, chase rules in Cthulhu are often pretty... Uh, I, I guess I would say that they're awkward um, at best, you know? Like, I think if you do them enough times, great, you'll get used to them. But you don't actually do them enough for them to matter. Um, and so that's one that I'm like, well, we can probably just let this play out uh, a little bit more naturally. But, you know, when it comes to, like, sanity, I'm not going to change the way sanity yeah. works because that's what makes Cthulhu original. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's finding that happy medium because, you know, like... A book can't read the room. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. yeah. But, like, you need that framework to play within. Like I said, otherwise you're just, like, you're just brainstorming a story. Yeah. And there's no, like, point to it. And I think if you use house rules in, like, fun areas or when it's, like, rewarding people for doing something really cool, that it, like, mm -hmm. it just makes everything more fun and it adds a touch of, like, your own personality and flair to everything. Yeah. The inspiration. Yeah. I think died. you could only really. I think you could only really do it with like a group of players that you know. Like if you're doing like a pickup game at like a comic shop or whatever on the weekend, you kind of have to play by the rules so that everyone has the same benchmark. Mm -hmm. But like for us, we all know each other now. Yeah. Um, but, but like, yeah, we we know that okay. Sometimes things are going to get a little bit fuzzy, and that's okay. We we have a understanding already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that they're all just more powerful if they're used sparingly, right? Like, if you only take a few rules away, then it seems like when you are taking a rule away, it's really for a good reason, and people probably appreciate that more. Whereas if they're like, we're just going to scrap half the book, well, then who cares what rules got scrapped and which ones didn't and stuff like that. And if you add a ton of homebrew rules, then everyone's going to be too busy trying to keep track of both of what's going on, and then it's just messy. Whereas if it's a handful, then it feels kind of tailored, like you said, then you can really build the game to your table yeah. but it doesn't take a lot to do that i don't think i think if you're gonna try and be like i got like 80 homebrew rules that i want consistently ran that's just is too much customization at that point like you're just getting to nitty-gritty things that probably aren't gonna make anyone happier you might as well write your own book Start, you might as well yeah. just yeah <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say that yeah <laughs> build a kickstarter get it funded go to town mm -hmm. yeah hey it works check out our next system in january mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in yeah, that's I guess my firm stance is just if it breaks the system, play a different system. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a reason why people choose to pay, play Pathfinder over D and D, right? Mm -hmm. They thought the system yeah. was too strict. They wanted something a little bit more streamlined. I think like there's times where it could yeah. it could make the game too, though. Like when we first started playing D and D, it was like the stinginess of it of the like loot and rewards and level up and stuff like that are like gamer brains that love seeing all the plus ones when you level up they weren't like they weren't happy with like waiting four levels to like get an attribute point right <laughs> so we like modified yeah. the system a lot so that we could like get more stuff on every level up but you start like weaker and i feel like it really helped us get into it and like when you like you were saying when you have like a crew of friends who are all playing together and you like know each other and like 
talk and like make characters that are like just so tailored to like what they want and like really homebrew it and custom make it it can like radically change how how cool a campaign can be if you're going for the power fantasy trip you know if you want to have like the the hardcore like tense games it maybe doesn't work so well but if you're just going into power fantasy like i've had people play as like a demon that possesses objects that other characters use and can like cast spells as long as they're like wield them and like a uh, character that was like a genie in a lamp that like was sort of neutral evil but the characters would only let him out when he like would cooperate with them and stuff and like <laughs> it's super far out there and had to be custom created but it made the campaign super unique too I think it's also cool like when you have a homebrew rule to like rationalize it in world yeah like okay we're going to change the way this is done but here's why it's not just because like eh, we don't really want to worry about carrying capacity yeah. uh, that's that's stupid just don't carry 12 battle axes you're fine um, well and yeah. you know even though I've said that I myself am pretty pretty strict on the rules going back to that what? Uh, you no <laughs> <laughs> listen just because I'm 80 and yelling at kids to get off my lawn <laughs> it's fine um but, you know, even going back to that Cthulhu campaign this last summer, um, we created custom classes for yeah. it and, you know, really tried to get a particular feel for it. And you're right. I don't think I would have been comfortable doing with that with brand new players or people who yeah. hadn't really played before. But I was confident that all of you kind of knew what you were doing. Um, there were at times, though, that I felt like it kind of broke the game. Like, you guys had so many more skill points than you were supposed to. You had more body armor. Um, but... To I the was the best appraiser in the West. <laughs> 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 to, to the credit, though, of, I think, working with you guys through that challenge, it was me going, okay, how do I make it harder without just increasing you know the bullet sponges of these enemies how do i make that encounter particularly more deadly than it could be because they're not the average investigators yeah. we would have seen i think it worked really well in that cthulhu campaign though because we had the preamble of like three sessions of playing normal cthulhu where we were weak and couldn't do anything and then, like, we actually got to be, like, the special forces assault squad that, like, could actually go in and handle the situation. And it felt pretty cool because it was so different from what we were used to <laughs> in the system. Yeah, it was cool. The first session, we surfed a crate down a cliff. And blew it up. <laughs> and blew, and it, blew up. it up. <laughs> Just to escape some rabid dogs. Like, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's um, it's definitely an interesting challenge, I think, walking that line between house rule and the system. Um, I know one of the, the most uh, interesting debates about this that I've ever gotten into was about experience between sessions and how long does it actually take to learn a skill. And uh, I don't think we ever really resolved that one because I was pretty... Like, no, this is the way it's done. But we definitely had some good conversation of, well, if you're playing in one time era, that makes sense because knowledge is harder to gain. But if you're playing in a modern day with, you know, Google and YouTube and all these channels of social media, is that rule the same? Yeah. I think part of that particular debate, though, is like, um, like 
the gamer brain wanting because like all of us that were playing in that campaign play a lot of video games as well and like upgrades in games are like instant and and you can like see the results of it right away so in an rpg having to be like especially a tabletop rpg where it already feels like it takes forever to like power up your character to then be like all right you gotta wait four actual real life weeks to get your skill points <laughs> it's like oh well, alrighty then. Yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, well, we got a couple of minutes here before uh, I've got a hard out and gotta gotta move along. Um, I guess for you guys, um, things seem to be going pretty good on the on the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you where do you see yourselves going with this? I don't know. I'm going to be trying to DM my first game ever here in like a month, and that terrifies me to no end. Uh, so look forward to that, guys. Uh. No, you're, you're going to do fine. It's a, it's a way different experience being on the other side of the screen, but um, I think you've chosen a good system. We're going to look at, uh, at Gods, um, which is an upcoming Kickstarter one. And uh, it, it promises to be pretty cool. The artwork in the beginner's guide looks awesome. Stunning. It's being on the DM side of the screen is the most fun side. Like I really mm-hmm. liked being a player finally this summer, but I think once you get into it, it's addicting being like the god of the session. Yeah. And yeah, like well, you're always playing. Oh, my ego yeah, you're all exactly. You're always playing. You always have <laughs> something to do. There's always dice rolls. There's always some question, some story arc that you got to put in. Yeah, mm-hmm. but when you say like where where are we going with this, as in like the podcast or with like tabletop games or what? All of it. Why not? I don't know. I've I've had a lot of fun doing this, and uh, like I'd be down to try out more systems. It's finally given me an excuse to try out some new systems, so I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. And I like I'm excited to do more things like this that are like just like random topics, talking, riffing, getting it out there, mm-hmm. seeing what it's like. <laughs> Yeah. As far as tabletop games, I really like, I gotta get back into DMing. I was just like talking up the DMing. But I just like, I'm easily intimidated by the amount of work that it takes to get a game running. And I had too many failed ones that I spent a lot of work getting set up and then we'd abandon three sessions in. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's like, I gotta get over that and like finally get into crafting one. Jane knows that yeah, experience. it sucks. We've had but like four abandoned mm-hmm. ones. It's, it's all awesome. it happens. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it's uh, this whole thing has just really kind of made me look out there and see what else is there because uh, my background obviously is D and D, Cthulhu, and a little bit of uh, Warhammer Fantasy, and uh, th- those are all really really great. Um, but it's cool to try a system and just say you know was that for me or not um our next series our next uh we're calling the batches uh, our next batch is on uh dcc dungeon crawl classics and that oh boy the conversation on that one was uh volatile <laughs> oh, God, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it was uh it was controversial i think <laughs> we we did though you said like earlier that we you never like played D or anything in high school we did play one time with Patty's dad. Uh, no, man, I wasn't there. You had to have been there. It was the, 
No, Maybe it you was were. the weirdest thing <laughs> okay, ever right. because I come to school. I come to school on like Monday, and all of a sudden Patrick's hyping up about how you guys were over there, and they're like, "Where were?" You? Or he's like, "Where were you?" And I was like, "You didn't invite me." <laughs> all right, I guess I misremembered. <laughs> uh, and then his parents were talking about it. They're like, "Where were you, Ruin?" And uh, I was like, "What are you talking about?" It was like I was being gaslighted to think that like all of you guys were doing this cool thing that I wasn't there for, except maybe I was. That was. Uh, it know, wasn't a very fun session, though. I'll be honest. Uh, that's yeah. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like that would have been a, a different scenario, considering you guys didn't normally hang about. Uh, my actual experience um, was honestly just like. Uh, one of our good friends uh, said, hey, my sister's friend is running this session and needs people to play. Why don't you come along? And I was like, uh, sure. Like, I haven't seen this person in years. Um, I, I guess I'll try it. And really did not have high expectations. But I went to work the next day just, like, raving about it. And finally, somebody was like, this is a video game? I was like, no, it's a pen and paper game. And they just looked at me like I was out of my mind, you yeah. know? But I, I guess, you know what, guys, we're just about to run out of time here, so we might as well wrap this up. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I'm out of co coffee, and uh, I got